Senior executives know that to stay on top of your game, you need to constantly challenge and develop yourself. IMI's new senior executive experience delivers future-focused learning. Gain invaluable tools and insights in areas like organisation resilience and digital transformation to shape the future of your organisation. Visit imi.ie for details. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. Today I'm joined by Lucy Gernon, who is an award-winning executive coach. Lucy helps high-achieving female leaders to stress less and achieve more by building their self-belief and leadership toolkit to enable them to thrive at work and at home. Lucy, please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us what led you down this path towards coaching. Hi everyone. Um, so yeah, lovely to be here, Farah. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so like Farah has said, my name is Lucy Gernon and I'm an executive coach and I tend to work with women from typically around associate director level all the way up to C-level, but I have worked with women below that level too. And I suppose what really led me to this path was um, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry for two decades. I actually trained in the IMI um, many moons ago as well. Fabulous, fabulous programs there. Um, and I suppose I had a master's degree in science. I worked in the quality inequality part of the business. I worked in capital projects parts of the business. And I absolutely loved what I did. But I was always, I suppose, lacked confidence on the inside. Um, I struggled with imposter syndrome. I held myself back due to my own limiting beliefs. And being really honest, like I suffered really badly with anxiety and depression for many years. And that really led me down a, a path of becoming absolutely obsessed with personal development. So while I was working, you know, uh, in the pharmaceutical industry, you know, doing all those things, I was also consuming so many books, doing courses, um, anything I could do just to learn how I could learn to control my mind and how I could be better. So when the pandemic hit, uh, my father-in-law very sadly passed away after a very short battle with cancer, six weeks. He was 66 years old, completely fit and healthy. And after six weeks, he was just gone from this earth. And I just realized that I had learned all that I had wanted to learn. I loved my career, but I was ready for a new challenge. And when I worked in the corporate world, I saw so many women burning themselves out holding themselves back, not being able to communicate or articulate their points effectively, which meant they weren't being seen. Women who were doing all the busy work and not making themselves visible. Um, women who were highly accomplished technical experts, but didn't have the skills they needed to effectively lead their teams. And I had all the answers. So I took a massive leap of faith and I, I had done a coaching course with the amazing Alva Harrington. And I took a massive leap of faith and I quit my only career I ever knew and jumped into my own business. So that's me in a nutshell. What a great story. Thanks so much, Lucy, for sharing. And now I want to pick up on something that you mentioned briefly, and that is limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit about the difference between limiting beliefs and then on the flip side, empowering beliefs? Oh my God, we don't have enough time on this podcast for me to get into this. It's so There's so much in this, but limiting beliefs essentially are 
beliefs that we hold that limit us in some way. So we hold beliefs, core. we all have core beliefs and we hold them about ourselves, others and the world. But we hold what we call self-limiting beliefs, which are beliefs about ourselves that hold us back from becoming who we were born to be, essentially. So it's where that um, imposter syndrome or that inner critic takes over and tells you things like you're not good enough or um, they don't like you or you're stupid. Like I hear the most intelligent, accomplished women at extremely high levels in organizations tell me that deep down they think they're stupid. And what happens is this all comes from childhood. So again, like back in the day, I would have gone for cognitive behavioral therapy, which really was the catalyst that changed my life in terms of managing my own mind. Um, And this is really on the premise that, you know, we all we all we are all who we are because of our childhood experiences and under the age of seven. Um, So if you have kids now, it's a really important phase of their life under the age of seven. We're trying to make sense of the world around us. And our brain's number one function is to keep us safe. So when something happens at home or something happens at school, we are trying to make me we, we make everything mean something. And because we haven't developed like our rational part of our mind effectively at that age, we tend to make it mean something about us. So, for example, one of my core beliefs was I'm not good enough. Um, another one was other people don't like me. And these are two really, really strong beliefs, which I had to do a lot of work on. So I suppose that brings me to the empowering beliefs. Empowering beliefs then are things that we tend that you need to work on. So what I mean by empowering beliefs is beliefs that you can program your mind with that actually support and serve you. So what what I do with my clients, I have a method I call the belief boost method. And I would use it with women who would struggle with their confidence and also women who would struggle with imposter syndrome. And there's five steps in the method. um, And I can share them with you now, if you like. Would you like me to do that? Yes, please do share those steps. Yeah. Okay. so if you want to change your belief system from limiting, which is not serving you, to more empowering, which is going to move you forward, there are five steps you need to take in my belief boost, boost method. The first step is explore your thoughts. So you need to think about, okay, get curious with yourself. What do I think about my abilities? Write them down. Write down exactly what you think about yourself. And unfortunately, because our brains have a negative bias, a lot of the time it's going to be negative things about ourselves, okay? So then you want to look at all of those things that you're going to list, and some of them are going to be negative. Um, And you're going to really challenge your thinking on those beliefs. So for example, um, I had a client last week, actually, who was, I think she was, at, she's a senior vice president in a very large organization, and she was struggling with imposter syndrome. And she was saying, you know, I really want more time to be strategic, and I need to be a more strategic thinker, and I need to be instigating change, and I'm not instigating change, and all of this. So when we actually went through that and challenged her thinking and looked at the tangible evidence to support the fact that she wasn't instigating change, she couldn't, she she could see it, but then I was like, that's just an assumption. So now we're going to look at the next step, which is owning your superpowers. So with this particular lady, I asked her to list, give me five examples of times where she had made changes, where she had done something. And she said, yeah, but that's just a small thing. And I said, but strategy and change, it's all accumulation of small things. 
So she was very quickly able to see that actually when she got out her pen and paper and owned her superpowers and wrote out all the things that she was good at and gave tangible examples of times where she actually did fulfill the requirements of the role, she walked away feeling amazing about herself. And she emailed me afterwards and she said, I can't believe after just 45 minutes, I now see how ridiculous I've been, ridiculously hard I've been on myself for the last few years. I am fulfilling the requirements of my role. So that's just a really, really important step in the method is to is to really look at the evidence. The next thing you do then, step four, if is to power up with perspective. So that's where you seek feedback from people that you trust. And usually when we seek feedback, what are we looking for? We're looking for the negative, right? We say, how can I improve? Whereas what I like to encourage you to do um, from the science of positive psychology, it's proven that when you look at everything that you're doing right, okay, you get into a vibra- higher vibrational frequency and you are in a more positive, elevated state. And when you are in that state and say you get the feedback from your colleagues that actually you're a really good listener or your team tell you, I think you give me really clear direction. That's going to make you feel unbelievably amazing, Right. Um, And then you can do more of that. And then you can lean more into that superpower. Okay. And then the final step in the method, step five, is empower yourself. So if you're beating yourself up in your head, and if you have limiting beliefs about yourself, just ask yourself this one simple question. What would I tell my best friend right now? And usually what you tell your best friend is something like, you know, you're being very hard on yourself. You're doing a great job. Blah, 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 blah. So write out what you tell your best friend and then turn those that statement into positive affirmations that you repeat every single day. So, for example, if you don't feel confident, you would start saying daily affirmations that I am a strong, confident female leader, for example. Or if you think that people don't listen to you, I communicate effectively and assertively so that my point is heard. You come up with whatever the statements are for you and then you repeat them every single day. And the beauty of affirmations is that when you do that, you are actually like physically forming new neural pathways in the brain. You are literally rewiring your brain and then you become the person that you want to be. Lucy, it's so interesting to get your perspectives and your tips on this, because I think that getting your beliefs right is kind of really key to combating things like this kind of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I think that definitely female leaders struggle with that probably more than any other kind of leaders. And I think that's something else that female leaders struggle with is setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. So can you give us some examples of some boundaries that you should be setting as a leader and tell us why it's so important to do that? Oh my God, I love this question. Um, So I actually literally just did a corporate talk yesterday on this and we had a really good discussion on this and I was sharing some of the boundaries that I would have set and still set. The first one I'd say is you need to have clear boundaries with your team on your availability. So what do I mean by that? I have seen leaders tell their team they're too busy. Now, when you tell your team that you're too busy for them, that makes them feel like crap. So we don't want to do that. But what you want to do is that you want to tell them when you are available for them. So, for example, I had a rule with my team. I hate instant message. Okay, I hate it because it's distracting if I'm doing something focused. 
And in the corporate world, you know, it runs on these instant messages on Teams or whatever um, software you use. So I would literally turn it off. And I know a lot of people think, oh, if I turn it off, people will think I'm not working. That's your stuff, right? That's your thinking. Turn it off if you're doing some work. Tell your team when you're available and make sure you're available for them. So, for example, every morning I would have had a team meeting and I stayed back for 15 minutes and my team knew this is my time to ask Lucy questions. Now, if there was something major, obviously, in the day I was contactable, but they knew the boundaries around my availability and that really, really helped. That's one thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is you need to set boundaries as a leader with everyone around you. So, Again, for example, um, a lot of leaders will need to approve things, right? Approving reports, approving documents, things like that. Um, and they end up working late because things come to them late. So you need to set your boundaries with those key stakeholders and say, right, this is how I operate. I am available for document approvals on this day, this day, this day. Now, this is all in general, okay? There's obviously exceptions. Um, and if you want something approved by Friday, I need it to me for review by Wednesday at the latest. So what you do then on Wednesday is if you haven't received it, you need to pull the information. You don't just sit and wait knowing it's coming. You need to actually be collaborative. And actually, if you know something is coming your way, you need to work with the other person to get it over the line. So it's really with boundaries. It's about sitting down and it's about writing out, thinking about your boundaries. So I know, Farah, you know, I have a method I use. I call it the dad method. It's a three-step method. The first step is define. The second step is apply. And the third step is defend. So when was the last time any of us ever sit down and go, how do I actually want people to treat me? How do I want my boss to treat me? How do I like to communicate? What's my availability? Um, how do I want my family to treat me? Again, I would hear um, from women who I work with, some of them are stepping up and doing so much work with their elderly parents, for example. And because they're nice and because they want to be supportive, they've taken on this role, but they're feeling resentful. So it's about looking at all areas of your life and it's about seeing where you need support. And then it's about standing firm in your power and communicating those boundaries in a way that's professional, in a way that's compassionate, in a way that's empathetic and in the way that kind of serves everyone involved. Thanks very much, Lucy. And I think boundaries are so important for creating that culture of organization and collaboration and, of course, contributing to your own work-life balance. And once you've set those boundaries and you're really sticking to them, I think it's also important to think about prioritizing and delegating. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with, too. So this kind of way of thinking that I'll do this myself to ensure that it gets done properly. What advice can you give to people who do struggle with delegation? So again, it all starts with mindset. Like everything I do, we always start with mindset. So it's about getting curious with yourself around, it's about observing your thoughts around it first. So it's like, what, what is it that makes me feel like I have to do everything? What's that little inner critic saying to me? Um, I do some work with my clients where we look at their saboteurs. So saboteurs are these voices in our heads that stop us from moving forward. Um, and the one, the number one saboteur we all have is the judge. And the judge is the one that judges ourselves. It judges everybody else around us. But then there are these accomplice saboteurs. And one of them, when it comes to delegation, is what I, it's called the controller saboteur. 
So this is this voice in your head that tells you, I must control everything. I need to know all the detail. Um, if I'm not in control, like the world is going to fall apart. And when you operate from that place, you're in a state of fight or flight, like you're physically in fight or flight. So as a leader, you need to be in your rational mind. You need to be calm. You need to be in control. So if you feel like you can't delegate and you're putting pressure on yourself, I would suggest firstly working on your mindset. OK, um, the second thing then is assuming that you are ready to delegate is I have a, a process um, that I use with my clients. It's a four step method. And actually, I have a free guide um, if you want to link it in the show notes where it's actually in there. And I call it the powerhouse prioritization matrix. So in this matrix, which is based on the famous Eisenhower matrix, um, we look at four different different filters, if you like, that you want to run all your workload through. So the Eisenhower matrix is amazing, but what it doesn't take into account is the urgent, the perception of what is urgent. So, you know, it talks about the urgent and important, unimportant on all of those things. But in the corporate world, everything is urgent, okay? Everything seems urgent, but it's actually not. So you want to look at these four quadrants, right? The first one is the must-do-its. And the must-do-its are those things that you absolutely must do today or the business is going to stop or there's going to be a significant impact or something is actually due. So the stuff that absolutely has to get done, for example, approved payroll, um, you know, approving a report that's going off to a regulator, you know, things that will damage the company reputation, things like that. Um, and that's where you want to be spending a lot of your time. That's where we're supposed to be. The second quadrant is the could do it. Now, this is where people do not spend enough time. And this is the strategy place. So this is the really important stuff. It's not urgent today. You could do it today, but you could also do it tomorrow. But it's super important. So things like strategic thinking and um, continuous improvement, developing your team, networking, increasing your own visibility. These are all things that are going to pay dividends in the future. And most leaders don't spend enough time there. The bottom two, two filters then or quadrants are the don't want it and the stop it. So the don't want it are things that absolutely have to get done, but you don't want them. Why don't you want them? Because they don't require your specific expertise. So what you need to do with those ones is you need to delegate them. So this is where our delegation comes in. So it's things like sending somebody else to a meeting that actually you don't need to be at. Maybe you want to be in control and know everything, but that, that's where you need to work on your mindset. So you need to come up with your list. And again, if you go to the free guide, I give tons of examples of, of each of these. Um, and then the very last one is the stop it's. So again, the stop-its are things that are not urgent, they're not important, and you need to stop them. Um, things like negative, negative, negativity, um, going into work and giving out about everything. Like it's not going to solve anything. You're going to end up working late because you're in a negative mindset and you're wasting energy and it's not going to move you forward. Uh, things like aimlessly scrolling on social media, procrastination massive thing massive massive thing where perfectionism kicks in so again if you go to the free guide you'll see all of this but where you want to be spending most of your time is in the in the top two so it's in the must do it the things you have to do today and the could do it's the strategic stuff and if you get rid of the bottom two that i shared about you'll have a lot more time to spend doing your strategic thinking and all those things that we all want to do
Thanks so much, Lucy, for giving us those pointers. And I think that control and perfectionism kind of go hand in hand. And I, for myself, have this little phrase written on top of my to-do list, which I found on LinkedIn. And it says, perfection is the enemy of progress. Mm -hmm. Can you give us your perspective on how perfectionism can hold leaders back? So I was a perfectionist, so I can definitely relate to this so much so that I needed therapy. Okay. I was such a perfectionist. I needed everything to be right. So it really holds you back because you're so in the detail that you're not having time for strategy. And every woman leader I have ever worked with have all told me that they want to have more time for strategy. So the more time that you're spending wordsmithing, uh, reformatting a presentation, um, you know, making changes just because you can, things like that, they're stopping you from having what you want. And again, if you want to accelerate your career or you want to be noticed or you want to increase your visibility, if you're down in the, in the weeds, right, you are just you're not going to be seen. So perfectionism, like, again, I would work with people a lot in the STEM industry. So, again, I came from pharma, which is highly regulated. And because of the regulations that kind of, I suppose, instilled a lot of perfectionism by design. But even the regulators can't get the regulations right. So I say to my clients, like, they can't even get them right. There's sometimes there's errors in those and the world doesn't end. So it's just about being able to recognize that good enough is good enough. Once you can understand what's being said, yes, it might not be, be presented in your exact language because somebody else has written it if you're reviewing something. But it's about just, just recognizing you know, that I always say to my clients and my dad actually is a, was a big perfectionist and he said this helped him, is that if you're a perfectionist, 80% is good enough because a perfectionist 80% is everyone else's 100%. I think that's a great quote. A perfectionist's 80% is everyone else's 100%. And I think we would all do well to remember that. Mm -hmm. Lucy, I want to talk a little bit about coaching. So you're a coach, you have extensive experience with this. How can leaders act as a coach for their team members? And in doing so, how does that help prepare future leaders? Great question. So there's a massive difference between being a mentor and a coach. So I do both. So as a coach and as a leader, if you want to coach your team, it's about helping them to see the solutions, helping them tap into their potential helping them recognize that actually they hold all the answers. Now, it depends on the situation. So this is a question I get asked a lot. Like, when do I use coaching? When do I use like leadership? So there's a time to command and control. Um, and times where you want to command and control are when you need to give direction or like when somebody doesn't have a specific skill set or doesn't have the experience, like a coaching approach is not going to work. But if you have a team member who you know is like competent in a certain area and they come to you with a problem, you just want to start helping them to problem solve. So it's about stopping yourself in that moment and stop giving them the answers and start asking them questions. So things like, um, OK, so what, what do you think we should do? And it's really short questions like that. And they'll probably say, God, I really don't know. And you'll say, OK, well, let's just sit with this for a minute. Um, what are the op what are the options we have? Or give me three options. 
Um, there's a tool again, it's a positive psychology tool, which is fabulous. It's called the Hope Map. And it it basically steps you through a process whereby you are looking at five different routes to get to the solution. So what that does is usually when we try to make a decision or solve a problem, we are looking at for we're looking for the perfect solution. Okay. And when you're looking for the perfect solution, your brain is again in this kind of tunnel visioned looking for perfection. Whereas when you start saying, okay, what are five different ways we could achieve this goal? You actually get into more creativity, you get into more innovative thinking, and you get a little bit playful with it. And when you're in that kind of mindset, you are going to solve more problems. So you'd say something like that to your team, and they'll say, hmm, I'm not sure. Give them space. Silence is gold and say, that's okay. Have a think. What are three to five different ways you might solve this? And then just, and then they might say, oh, um, I, I might, maybe we should update this procedure or maybe I need to talk to John, for example. And you go, great. Okay. So if you talk to John, what might happen? So you're, you're moving them forward towards the future and you're trying to help them see solutions. You're also then asking them, okay, so what might happen if you talk to John is we might get over this hurdle. Fantastic. What obstacles might get in your way? So again, you're trying to help them prepare for what might get in their way. And they'll say, well, John might not be in work tomorrow or blah, 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 blah. Okay, great. If that happens, what are you going to do? And then they're going to say, well, maybe I can send him an email or actually this, this, there's this other guy that works with him who might have the answers. So you're helping them to make their plan without you giving them the answers. There are some really interesting and relatively simple things that leaders can do to start coaching teams. So thanks very much for sharing that. And a final question for you. It's important to get a balance between three important factors. Those are happiness, success and balance itself. So very quickly, how do we go about achieving that balance, especially as female leaders? Great question. So my whole core message is that success, balance and happiness are possible for all women. So it starts with well, for everybody. Like for me, I just want everyone to live up to their full potential, to live a really balanced, happy life and to like just enjoy it. Right. So. It starts with setting an intention. So if you go back to what we spoke about earlier, Farah, with the boundaries, it's about like designing your own life. So it's about, you know, when I work with my clients, we'd look at, okay, what does success, balance and happiness mean to you? Like, what does success mean? Is it the promotion? Because if it's the promotion, does the promotion mean that your balance is sacrificed? So it's about getting really clear on what that means to you. What does happiness look like for me? What do I want? What does balance look like for me? Because balance is a very subjective term. And what balance means for me is going to be something completely different for you. For example, I work around my kids. I don't do a nine to five. I work kind of different hours, but that's not going to suit everybody. So it's about you becoming the captain of the ship as opposed to going where the boat takes you. Decide what you want from your life. Decide what that looks like and then put a plan in place to get there. Thank you so much, Lucy, for joining us on the IMI Talking Leadership podcast today. And thank you to everyone for listening. You can follow us on SoundCloud, your preferred podcast provider, to ensure that you don't miss an episode. Until next time.